Our reading tonight is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the first 23 verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of the time, out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, but am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed unto me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and ye are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the desire that the... Sorry that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Thanks, Elmer. Struggling there. <laughs> Four friends were talking about death. One of them asked the other three, When you're in your casket and people are mourning you, what would you like to hear them say about you? The first man said, I'd like to hear them say that I was a fine physician in my time and a great family man. The second said that I would love to hear that I was a wonderful husband and a school teacher who made a difference in our children of tomorrow. The third man replied, I'd like to hear them say, 
Look, he's moving. I think many would empathise with that last fellow. But there is something better that I would like someone to say if I were lying in my casket. When Jesus spoke to Martha and her brother, after her brother Lazarus had died, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You know, I love reading about the reality of the resurrection and the Gospels and the epistles. Every time I do, my faith is reaffirmed and I glean new insights. Our hope is not built on opinions, but upon facts. This hope of resurrection, this hope of conquering death, is right at the very heart of Christianity. Yes, as Christians, we very much believe that our faith in Jesus makes a difference in this life. Each and every day we are called to live in a way that expresses our love for God and for others. Yet one of the most important, most powerful and beautiful dimensions of Christianity is the hope that it gives that physical death will not be the end. But through a resurrection, we will enter God's kingdom and experience eternal life. But not only do the Gospels and the Epistles refer to the resurrection, the Old Testament gives us some teaching about the resurrection. And when it does, many people similar to the people today just don't seem to understand it. For instance, in Isaiah 26 verse 19 it says, Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing ye that dwell in dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So Isaiah, he believed in the resurrection that was to come. In Daniel 12 too, we are told, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that leaves no question about a resurrection in Daniel's mind. In Job 19, verses 25 to 27, Job said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another though my heart be consumed within me. What a confidence Job had in the future resurrection. You know, as far back as Abraham, there was also talk of the resurrection. We read about that in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. In John 20, we read that when John and Peter went into the tomb, they found it empty. But notice the grave clothes lying there, just a wee aside here. 
Have you ever wondered what Jesus was wearing after his resurrection when he was walking about in the garden? If the grave clothes were still lying in the tomb? That's just a rhetorical question. I don't want you to shout out any answer. But it's a thought, isn't it? Where did he get the clothes that he had? Remember, Mary thought he was just a gardener. It was certainly, didn't he get the clothes from St. Michael and Marks and Spencer's? No, they were given him from the same person who gave him his resurrection body. His Father God. Almighty God. You see, nothing was impossible for God. He made the heaven and the earth. So to make some clothes, that was no problem for God. And the same goes for us. When we are caught up to be with Jesus in the air, if we need to go through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no need to pack a case and put all our clothes in. We will be provided with clothes by God. You know, tonight I would like, if I may, take a journey through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as we do, my hope is that the Lord will enable us to understand and experience the power of the resurrection in a fresh way, in a way that will provide hope and joy as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. And let's pray that that will happen. So as we look at what the Apostle Paul has to say in the resurrection, he makes three basic points in this passage. The first is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This is the heart of the gospel, the good news that Paul proclaimed. You know, sometimes there is discussion in the church about what constitutes the gospel. What is the message we as Christians are called to share with other people? Some folks suggest it includes helping the poor, experiencing healing, etc., which are all good things. These may be results of the gospel, but Paul makes it clear that that is not the content of his message. He gives us a succinct summary in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 15. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen just as the scriptures reveal, just as the Old Testament prophets had foretold. That is the gospel. And from these events flow all sorts of great news. Jesus rising from the dead is the climax of the gospel, and also the most difficult part for people to accept. Dead people tend to stay dead, so many think. That's a common thought both in the 1st and in the 21st centuries. So Paul gives an impressive list of eyewitnesses who can testify that they have seen the risen Lord. He mentions Peter and the other apostles, and in verse 6, 500 people who saw Jesus on that occasion. You know, this is apparently a crowd which had gathered to listen to Jesus after the resurrection. It may even be the folks who heard him give that great commission at the end of Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And suspecting there are folks who might be sceptics, who might say, yeah, right, Paul. He also notes that as he writes, about 20 years after things happened, many of these witnesses are still alive. 
He says, if anyone has questions, they'll just go and talk to these, fo these folks who saw the risen Christ walking and who came into their very presence. Paul, however, goes on to say, not only have I talked to folks who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, but I myself saw him as well. But not in the same way as Peter and all the other folks did, but I saw him. In verse 8 it says, And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. You know, this appearance happened maybe two or three years after the resurrection, when the Lord Jesus met Paul, then known as Saul, on the road to Damascus. You know, it was this very special encounter which enabled Paul to become an apostle, even though he was not an eyewitness of the resurrection like the others. That is why he calls himself one abnormally born. Well, some might say that was just a vision, that Paul did not really see the risen Christ. I think Paul would respond, oh, it might have been a vision, but I'll tell you something, I really did see Jesus. And while the other witnesses may have been looking for him, I certainly was not. I believe Jesus was as dead as anyone could be, that he was in the tomb and he would not get out. But after what happened that day as I was heading to Damascus, I totally changed my mind. What I saw, heard and experienced proved to me that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. Paul's total certainty of the resurrection of Jesus makes him puzzled by some of the thinking of the Corinthians. In verse 12 it says there, But it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? In the Gospels we read about a group of people who did not believe in the resurrection. They were the Sadducees. No, other, no wonder they were sad. You see, they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So firstly, Paul says, Jesus Christ is, written, is, risen, is risen. But secondly, this would mean if there was no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus Christ has not risen, he said. Paul sees an intimate link between Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection of those who are believers in Jesus Christ. To deny one is to deny both. To say that one could not happen is to imply that the other could not happen. So to say that believers in Christ who have died will not be resurrected is very serious stuff because that implicitly is saying that Jesus did not rise himself from the dead. And what Paul says in verse 13, if Jesus has not been raised, Paul says your preaching is useless. In verse 14, it makes no sense at all to go out there and tell others about a Christ who is still dead. And he also says if Christ isn't risen, your faith is useless. Verse 14 again, your confidence is not in a living Lord, but in a dead one. And he says in verse 15, If Christ is not risen, we are not any apostles of his. We are false apostles, false witnesses. We are liars when we say that Jesus is, written, is risen. And then in verse 17 he says, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. 
And then Jesus cannot help you. Also in verse 17, he says, If Christ is not risen, we are still all in our sins. And still carry the guilt for that sin. Because God did not accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And in verse 18, Paul says, If Christ is not risen, those Christians who have died are lost for all of eternity. There is no hope for eternal life if Jesus is still in the grave. We as Christians should be pitied, he says, in verse 19. We are all men most miserable. You know, we are nothing but fools to go through hardship and persecution for the sake of Jesus if he is not a risen Lord. We have no reason to believe any of the promises that Jesus made because he is nothing more than a corpse rotting in a tomb. Paul says to deny the resurrection of Jesus is to rip the heart right out of Christianity and make it more, no more than an empty shell. And thirdly, Jesus has risen, Paul says. So all these terrible things that Paul spoke about in verses 13 through to 19 are not true. And Christians, now that's not saying that Paul is telling lies of them. He's talking about if Christ is not risen between these verses, then all these things, you know, were just liars. We're just trying to escape reality. And Christians who have died will not rise from the dead. But in verse 20, Paul says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep is a first century euphemism for those Christians who have died. But because of the resurrection, Paul sees death as temporary. So in a sense, our bodies are sleeping in the grave, waiting to be awakened by the Lord at the resurrection. Paul then goes on to explain how this is going to work. In verses 21 and 22, he says that Jesus Christ is the source of resurrection and life. Just as Adam was the source of sin and death. In verse 23, he says that Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which occurred in about 33 AD, is the first fruits, which is a Jewish term for the first produce that was harvested and offered to the Lord. So Jesus Christ is the first fruits offered to the Lord, and he's harvesting a great crop just now in believers who believe in him, the resurrected Lord Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is an important promise for those who trust in him because we will be resurrected as well. This will not happen, however, until the end of the age should we die in Christ before he comes and calls and catches us up in the rapture to be with him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the beginning of the conquest of death. That conquest will be complete. <coughs> death will be totally defeated when those who are believers in Christ are raised from the dead. To use a, a very weak but very important historical analogy, the resurrection of Jesus can in some ways be likened 
to D-Day, when the Allies landed on the coast of Normandy in France. That event marked the beginning of the end of the Nazi regime. And Jesus' resurrection marks the beginning of the end of the reign of sin and death. The resurrection of believers is also like the VE Day, victory in Europe, when Nazi Germany surrendered and the war was over. When the resurrection occurs at the end of human history, the battle with evil, sin and death will be over. One. The victory will be God's but we will be able to enjoy it throughout eternity. We know this will happen because we know that Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, before we go on, I want to try to answer a couple of questions which come up sometimes when people study this passage. The first question, is Paul talking about everyone being raised from the dead or just Christians? I believe he is just talking about the Christians. Because in verse 22 it says in Christ all will be made alive. And some claim this means that every human being will eventually be saved. Whatever religion they follow. Or whether or not they even believe in God. But I think Paul here clearly means that all who are believers will be made alive. Because in the next verse in 23 he says those who belong to him will be raised. And the entire New Testament makes it clear that some people will experience eternal life with the Lord, while others will face eternal punishment in hell. And throughout this chapter, Paul is speaking of the resurrection of Christian believers, what John calls the first resurrection, what many Christians believe happens when Christ returns to rule on earth, the resurrection for judgment. Or the resurrection of the wicked and all those who don't know Christ is not Paul's topic here in this chapter. That is the second resurrection and occurs right before the great white throne of judgment which is described in Revelation chapter 20. In this text, Paul is only talking about Christians being raised from the dead. So the resurrection hope we are talking about belongs only to those of us who are born again of the Spirit of God being religious or going to church is not enough unless we are trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour we will not defeat death and the second question that sometimes arises does this passage teach that Jesus Christ God's Son is inferior to God the Father we didn't read these verses but in verses 25 and 28 Paul teaches that the Son will be made subject to the Father if this were the only passage in the Bible that addressed this issue, then one might argue that, yes, this is the case. God the Father is superior to Jesus. But this is not the only text we need to consider. Other passages such as John chapter 1, which was very clearly spoken about by James Morris last Sunday, teach that the essential equality of the Father and the Son. So how does this make sense? It is the voluntary submission of the Son to the Father. Jesus and God the Father are equals. Equals in all aspects of being, power and character. Yet Jesus willingly and joyously chooses to submit himself to the Father. Grasping this relationship is very important because it parallels the type of relationship Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. 
that of a husband and wife. The wife is to submit to you listening. The wife is to submit to the servant leadership of her husband. Not because she is inferior in any way, but because it is an act of love done by an equal partner. We don't want to get hung up on this point, but it is important. God the Father and God the Son are equal. Men and women are equal. But that doesn't mean there is no reason for submission. Okay, I'll finish there. Let's get back to the resurrection. What does this truth that Paul teaches on this topic mean for us? Let me mention three things. First, a Jesus who did not rise from the dead is not a real Jesus. One thing which is clear in our text today is that the resurrection plays a very central part in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now that probably seems obvious to most of us, but there are folk who claim that the bodily resurrection of Jesus is just a myth. For example, in a report a few years back called The Search for Jesus, a learned man called Dr. Marvin Meyer claimed that the early Christians borrowed the idea of the resurrection from the pagan Roman mystery religions. Members of the then known the Jesus Seminar have suggested that Jesus did not really die on the cross that first Good Friday. Instead, he merely fainted, was put in the tomb, and by Easter had been revived and came out, giving the disciples the impression he had risen from the dead. But they don't explain how he was able to move the huge stone that blocked the tomb entrance, or how he was able to overpower the Roman guards who were keeping watch over, over that tomb. But these folks don't like to be confused by the facts. They ignore the truth, like many others, that there is more historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived. Now, what I find most disturbing is that these people claim that they're not attacking Christianity, but they're just helping us to see the truth about Jesus by stripping away some of the myth that has surrounded him, baloney. Paul makes it clear that the resurrection is at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of the Jesus event. To talk about Jesus who lived and died but did not rise from the dead is to talk about an imaginary Christ. A Jesus who did not conquer death is no more, than, is no more real than an Elvis Presley who is still alive. The Bible makes it very clear Jesus rose from the dead on Resurrection Sunday and 40 days later ascended to heaven from which one day he will return to rule the earth as the living Lord and King. Friends, any church which teaches that Jesus Christ did not rise from the, from the dead is not a Christian church. It might be a church that does good things. It might be a church full of nice people but it's not a Christian following church. Any church that allows pastors and teachers who deny the resurrection to retain their positions in the church is not functioning as a, a Christian church. Christianity, the gospel, is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to deny it is to rip the heart out of the Christian message. Secondly, Paul says that because of the resurrection... We don't need to fear death. Now I tend to think being afraid of dying is a very natural emotion. 
Oh, I know there are folks who claim to be unfazed by the prospect, but I suspect that most of them are like Woody Allen who said, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know, I would argue that even as Christians, we don't need to be ashamed with being uncomfortable with death. After all, as Paul tells us at the end of this chapter in verse 54, death is an enemy that will only be completely defeated on that great day of resurrection. So, yes, it's okay to be uncomfortable with the thought of our own death. In fact, for those folks, often young people and others, who see death as something that only happens to someone else, it's important to come to grips with the truth that in a universal reality, at 100 years from now, should the Lord tarry, it is unlikely that any of us here will still be alive. And I'm not saying we're all old. So we don't need to be comfortable with the thought of death, but as Christians, we should not be afraid. For the Bible speaks of being asleep in Jesus, and I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us, are not afraid of going to sleep. Now, when someone close to us dies, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that it is okay to grieve for that friend or family member, but we should not grieve as those who have no hope. The reason we can face death with courage and hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, we know that we who are believers will one day be raised as well. If the Lord does not return before I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, my body will one day be put in the grave. Not to rot, but to wait for that marvellous day of resurrection. I love the way that John Bunyan puts it and describes death in the Pilgrim's Progress. Before Christian and hopeful are able to enter the heavenly city, he says, they must first cross the river which represents death. Christian is afraid he will sink as he steps into the water. But hopeful, who is a few yards ahead, says, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom and it is good. Friends, it is not pleasant to cross the river of death. But if we are a believer in Christ, we will not sink. The bottom is solid and good. As the old spiritual says, Jordan's river is chilly and cold. It chills the body, but not the soul. Yes, death is not fun, but it is something a Christian needs not fear. And thirdly, we can learn from what Paul says that if we need to stop pretending this life is all there is, I think one of the most important verses is that verse in the text that we read together, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You know, this is something that I'm afraid a lot of us have a hard time swallowing. You see, often we are grateful for our Christian faith because of how it makes our lives feel better right now. Let me explain with some thoughts. Because I am a Christian, I right now have all sorts of wonderful friends who are kind, generous, and fun to be with. Because I am a Christian, I right now enjoy a marriage where both Jackie and I are committed to Christ and where we sought to raise our boys in a way that pleases the Lord. Because I am a Christian, I right now get to read all sorts of interesting Christian books, listen to all sorts of inspiring Christian music, and get to attend all sorts of exciting Christian events. Because I am a Christian, 
I try to follow the commands of God that God has given in the Bible. And I think my life right now is better because of that. The survey says that on average, people who go to church do indeed enjoy better health, have happier marriages, are more successful in their careers and have more money than people who don't go to church. I enjoy being a Christian, even if there were no resurrection, even if we all just die and stay dead. I have a feeling I would still choose to be a Christian because it's a good life. But I think the Apostle Paul would be a little shocked by that type of thinking. He might say, Alec, you're well mixed up. Oh, I found a lot of joy in this life too, he says, but it is only a shadow of what is ahead. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, I also wonder if we are really out there serving the Lord and other people as we should be in our life. Their life should not be as easy as I mentioned with some of these thoughts and comfortable as I've just described. Don't you remember Jesus' instructions that we are to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth because that is where we will truly be able to enjoy them. You know, at most times in history and in many parts of the world today, Christians have understood very clearly what Paul means when he says that Christians are pitiful fools if there is no resurrection. People in places like China, Sudan, Indonesia and India would have to be nuts to try to follow Jesus if they did not believe in the resurrection. Their life here is not easier because they are Christians. It is harder. And yet they look forward to what is ahead. I read about two friends who have served as missionaries in Delhi in India for a number of years. The church they currently attend is served by one pastor and four young men in their early 20s who are students and kind of associate pastors. A couple of months ago, two of these young men were trapped by a Hindu mob and were nearly beaten to death. It has become a dangerous thing to be a Christian in northern India. Yes, I and indeed many other parts of the world as well. Yet because these friends are committed to serving the Lord and the people of India, they stay there with their young children, possibly take, risking their lives. Wouldn't it make a lot more sense for them to move back to their own place? Aren't they being rather foolish? No, they said, because of the resurrection. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. Because to one day we will rise from the dead. Obeying Jesus is more important than even concerns of personal safety. Friends, we need to remember that because the resurrection is a reality. Their preparations for the next life are more important than our plans for this life. What kind of car we drive is not really as important as how we treat the people around us. How much money we have in the bank is not nearly as important as our willingness to share whatever we have with others. How successful we are in any activity in our lives does not make anything. Not, me, not nearly as important as how faithful we are serving the Lord in our church because he has called us. What other people think of us is not nearly as important as what God thinks of us and what we're doing. Because the resurrection is a reality, the most important goal we can have is that one day when this life is over, 
the Lord will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychiatry, wrote, and finally there is the painful riddle of death, for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. Have you ever thought about the difference between the first creation in Genesis and the new creation spoken about by Paul in Colossians? During the first, resurre- during the first creation, God made heaven and earth, and all the creatures, then he made man and woman last. The first part of the new creation was Jesus' body, rising from the dead. That's why he's called the firstborn of creation. And in the new creation he has made man and woman through his redemption. First. Then he will make a new heaven and a new earth. So the system, the order, is reversed. When God spoke to Adam or breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. And in the Gospels we read that God breathed after the resurrection, God breathed the breath of his Holy Spirit into the apostles and the disciples. The breath of life. And God is alive in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, the resurrection is a wonderful reality. Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. Those of us who trust in him as Lord and Saviour will really rise from the dead one day. That indeed is a reason to celebrate. May God bless us.